coming up on this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My, uh, I don't think that we're equipped to disciple young men and women in those neighborhoods in seminary. Um, because, you know what, you can't hand this guy a book and say, hey, you know, uh, uh, why don't you, we read through this book together and we'll meet every week and, uh, you know, you do the homework questions. And, you know, uh, we're, we're dealing with a lot of folks that, that do not grow up with bookshelves, that do not grow up valuing books. These days, these kids aren't even allowed to take their school books home. Hmm. You know, and, and so uh, you hand them a book and say, let's read through this together. The next time you see them, they don't even know where the book is. You know, and so discipleship takes on a whole nother um, sort of form, you know, another shape. We're, we're forced to really uh, figure out how to disciple and how to love people that are different than we are. That, you know, and, and we have to resist the temptation to say, you know what, that you're less than an image bearer. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual and as always, every week, day in and day out, My name is William Hill. Yes, it's the name my mother gave me, so it stands to reason that that would be my name every day. But yes, I am your host, William Hill, and I do look forward to this discussion we're going to have today with a man who is involved in a church planning um, ministry in in, in a rather unique perspective, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Today is June 25th, 2012, and this is broadcast number 16. And as I indicated, this is the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And if you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, you can do so at our website, gpts.edu. In addition to that, we do have another website that is somewhat of the media arm of the seminary, and you can find that information at confessingourhope.com. And if you'd like to write me with suggestions for guests on the program or comments or even criticisms, you can do so by writing me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. And I do all I can to respond to every email I do get. So please write in. Um, I'm very much open to suggestions or comments about the program, and I do value those who have to date written in with um, encouraging words and uh, things of that nature. So please do utilize that opportunity to email me here at the program. As I indicated, we do have an interesting discussion today lined up for you, and one that um, doesn't get a lot of attention, I think, in the blogosphere, as it were, or even in podcasting. But it's a discussion that I think needs to be had more and more, especially as we consider the world we live in and the need for the gospel to penetrate even into some of the the more difficult areas of our world and even in this nation here in the United States. So we do have the pleasure of welcoming Scott Moore on. He is a church planner, but he's also currently the assistant pastor of Grace Community Church, and that is a PCA work and as I said, he's also involved in church planning, and he's doing this church planning in a somewhat difficult scenario, and he does have his MDiv from RTS in Jackson. So, Scott, it's great to have you on the program, and before you comment on anything substantial, uh, tell us where um, Grace Community is located. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to talk about what we're doing. Grace Community Church is a uh, uh, about a 10- or 11-year-old 
uh, PCA plant in Mobile, Alabama. Well, that's great. Now, Mobile, Alabama, that happens to be, as we were talking off air, the gentleman that does most of the lining up of guests for me on this program. He's, you know him basically for, because you kind of were from the same area. Yes. Uh, there, there are two uh, PCA churches here in Mobile, uh, Christ Presbyterian being the other one, and it's um, you know, just a, a matter of a few miles away. But we, uh, we have a very close relationship with them, and I met him through uh, Christ Press. Well, that's great. Now, um, I mentioned already that you graduated from RTS Jackson with an, uh, your Master of Divinity, but what, what is your general background? Uh, did you grow up in a Christian home? or, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Auburn, Alabama, uh, and uh, went to you know elementary school all the way through high school there. Uh, I did begin attending church when I was around 14 years old. I uh, was baptized in a, a First Baptist church there. Uh, I didn't, however... Uh, stay with church, so to speak. Uh, I, I guess you could use the sort of the old saying. I didn't have a relationship with Christ uh, like I, you know, I did once I got out of college or during college. Um, I played basketball. Um, I'm six nine, um, and uh, uh, you can't really be, I guess, as tall as I am and, and not start getting. <laughs> You know, ask the question every day, do you play basketball? So I figured I'd, I'd humor everybody and start playing the game. And uh, I graduated high school back in 1996, Auburn High School, and then I went to a small junior college in South Alabama called Faulkner State Community College, and I played basketball there. And uh, through a number of events, I, I didn't I didn't continue playing basketball after that, though I could have. But uh, I pursued a relationship uh, in to Mobile. That's where she was currently uh, living, and so I, I gave up basketball in, in pursuit of that. And uh, I guess this is sort of my testimony. Uh, once I got to Mobile, there was really no one there but her, and uh, it was an ungodly relationship. And we. Uh, we broke up soon after that, and uh, basically, I, I call that time when when my idols sort of killed each other, <laughs> and, I, and I was left with nothing. Um, I didn't have any family or friends in Mobile. I was attending school and uh, not doing very well uh, academically, and uh, basically just threw my hands up. A couple of guys from Saudi Arabia entered my life, and uh, they were Christians, and uh, they just loved me, and. Uh, started attending church with them and uh, I like to say that's when Christ began you know really changing me um, and that's when I became a Christian I was back in uh, 19 I think 99 uh, is when that happened um, and I, I guess uh, to, to fast forward just a bit um, I, uh, I started a few years later I started a little Bible study on the campus of South Alabama where I, where I went to college after Faulkner and uh, graduated uh, and then became a sort of college ministry, a college minister in a, an Assembly of God church, believe it or not. And uh, it wasn't very long after that that I began reading uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and um, in uh, the Cost of Discipleship. And that's when I began to really start considering um, just a change in my entire theological worldview uh, or paradigm. And, Mm. And uh, it wasn't soon after that that I picked up Martin Luther. For some reason, I ordered Calvin's Institutes on eBay and got them, and uh, and uh, became Reformed. And I resigned from that church, um, and that was in 2004. 
my wife and I were married that year, and um, I became uh, I started uh, selling mortgages, and um, uh, until my wife got out of physical therapy school in 2007, and I was uh, I went from that church into a PCA church here, Grace actually Grace Community. I started attending the church I'm working at now, and in 2007 went to RTS Jackson, and. Uh, and the rest is sort of history. After I, I did my time at RTS Jackson, uh, Grace hired me back. So I've been an assistant pastor here for a couple of years now. Well, it's, it's, that's a great story, and it's interesting to see how God providentially does things. Um, I, I had a pastor of mine um, say one time that God's providence is often best read backwards. In other words, you never seem to know what's going on until you it's all done, and you look back over your shoulder and you're like, you know, if God hadn't done that right there, and if God hadn't done that right there, I wouldn't yeah, be right well, here at yeah, this yeah. moment. Even when it was, it could have been even a difficult thing, like moving to Mobile, chasing after a relationship that ended up going away and being left with nothing. It's interesting yeah, how, right. how God works. What other background aspects of your background perhaps led you now to um, pursue and to desire to do church planning work, especially um, in the area that you're actually going to do this church plant? Yeah, uh, well, you know, growing up playing basketball, most uh, most of my friends and a lot of my friends were from, uh, were African American and uh, from, you know, either projects or, you know, rough neighborhoods. Um, so it wasn't uncommon for me to to hang out in in that culture. When I was in college, I I dated a, an African American uh, girl and um, for a year, and and I was basically submerged in the culture, uh, and and I just really fell in love with it. I love the African American culture. I mean, we we are planting uh, in a in a neighborhood where my wife and my family and I will we will be the only white uh, family in the neighborhood that I know of. Uh, I've been going there for a couple of years now, and I, I don't know of another white couple in the neighborhood. It's a predominantly African American neighborhood, um, and so it, it's it's a cultural step that isn't a very long step for me. Um, you know, with my with my background in basketball and just friendships and things like that. Um, my wife and I are naturally just gatherers. I mean, um, it's not this. Uh, you know, we, we typically have long discussions and, and long planning sessions with our uh, calendars that just get blown up during the week because we're just, we've got, we, we just love people. We love having people over, you know, mm. and, and we're just gatherers. And uh, we don't, um, looking back, you know, as you said, looking back, just the relationships that we've had over the years have really spanned across cultural lines and, and racial lines. Uh, I don't know why. It's nothing. It's not something that we necessarily try to do. I think it's just something that we're very attracted to. I mean, we um, we've had um, when I was in art, when I was at RTS Jackson, we had a young man living with us from one of the neighborhoods. He's African American uh, man from one of the neighborhoods, and and uh, and it, it just it just happened. You know, we we started hanging out with him. We we helped him get his GED and and get back on his feet and he was spending more time at our house than at his and so we just we gave him a room we had an open room and so mm. um you know i lived with those guys from from saudi arabia who really shared their faith with me back in college and i, I lived with them for two years and uh and so it's just it just comes natural to us it's just sort of a gift now we we have other uh weaknesses that's for sure i mean our life is not as structured as i'd, I'd like it to be but uh you know, relationships, uh, especially with people with different cultures, tend to make things uh, 
less consistent than you know with, than people with iCal, you know, and, and iPhones like. You know, we we like things structured, but that's just typically not how it goes. So I mean, it it has it's a blessing to to be that way, but it also has uh, some some things that can really make for a, a tough time in this world. You know. Sure. Now, now you you I I have to say this. I I just can never resist it. But whenever someone brings up technology of some nature, even if it's in passing and they don't even realize they did it, but you you said what was that iPhone? Yeah, that's right. So you have an iPhone? I do have an iPhone. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and those who listen to me all the time know exactly what I mean by that. Um, yeah, I'm not a big a big Mac fan, but that's okay. That's that's not a problem. That's um, be that as it may. That's what makes America great. We can choose our toys as we as we so as we see fit. Now, now you're going to be planning. We we we've already kind of hinted at. Um, where you're going to be planting the church. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this area um, that you're going to be planting this church and perhaps um, maybe give some kind of background or maybe um, talk about some of the specific difficulties that this is going to present um, for you. You already touched on one, but but maybe more specifically. Sure, sure. Um, We're... We're going to a neighborhood uh, that's called Trinity Gardens, and Trinity Gardens is um, just the, it's at the north part of Mobile, and uh, it's a, a small neighborhood that is bordered by another city, small city uh, called Pritchard, Alabama, which is a which is an impoverished city in Alabama. Um, and people from Trinity Gardens will usually tell you they're from Pritchard because it's very difficult to see sort of the the city line, you know. Uh, um, but Trinity Gardens is a community of about 1,500 homes, about 3,000 people, uh, mostly, if not all, African-American. Uh, most people in the neighborhood make uh, $20,000 a year or less. Um, you know, with communities like that, I mean, they, they do have their uh, plenty of contributions and wonderful um, attributes of the neighborhood that I, I so wish that we had in our neighborhoods where I grew up in sort of your your white middle class neighborhoods or upper class and um and so they have tons of contributions but they also uh as with most impoverished neighborhoods have uh, their difficulties as well you know um with uh drugs and um you know crime and things like that uh and so the sort of the uh, philosophy that we're taking and that my wife and I are really dedicated to is, I guess, what some people and some planters would call the incarnational model. Uh, we are we are uh, about to break ground on our home in Trinity Gardens. Uh, we bought some lots. Um, we bought three to be exact. They're very small lots, so we bought three lots, and we are we are joining an effort of a lady in the neighborhood uh, to sort of revitalize her community. She's been building homes, you know, a few a year for the last 10 years. And, uh, she helped us find these lots to build our home. And, um, and we, we're going to live in the community. Uh, everybody in the community knows me as pastor Scott. And, uh, you know, sometimes when a sort of a white guy goes into a black community, um, they're coached, they're, they're told to maybe go in as a coach because in a community like that, you know, being uh, culturally different and being sort of the white guy that comes in the neighborhood, uh, the title of coach gives you sort of that immediate respect and uh, mm. that, that you need in a, in a neighborhood like that. It gives you the, the credibility uh, and the attention that, that, uh, that is necessary. Uh, 
But given that we've been going there for two and a half years already, uh, as soon as I came back from seminary, I was invited there by a lady in our church uh, named Charlene, and uh, she's been faithfully going there for the last 10 years to the community center and offering a Bible club. It's called Bible Club. She she gives a snack to the kids at the community center after school and gives a little gospel presentation. She's been doing that week in and week out for, uh, back then it was seven years. Mm. And uh, I don't know how she did it, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to have that perseverance, you know, with, with very little help. Uh, she did have some faithful help over those years, but with very little help. Uh, but right now, when we go on Wednesdays to offer Bible Club, the, the people at the community center, they, they shut the community center down. If you, if you don't listen to me or Charlene, you don't, you don't get to stay at the community center. So we'll have anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60 or 70 uh, you know, boys and girls, men and women at the community center, we we give them a gospel presentation. But doing that for about two and a half years, we just I've just built so many great relationships, not only with people in the community center, but with young men uh, in the uh, in the neighborhood. That's where I really feel called uh, to the young men. Um, I really want to disciple men in the neighborhood. If you if you uh, if you get the men, you get everybody. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is. Uh, that is a part in those neighborhoods that people from probably, you know, my background and a lot of our backgrounds in the seminaries, we, we tend to drive through those neighborhoods and, and see guys, you know, not working and, and tend to be a little bit judgmental. But it, it, it's a lot deeper than that. It's a, um, it's a whole lot more complex, you know. Uh, the results of uh, the, our, our fallen creation are... Are, are, are a bit more um, complex than a lot of times our our theology um, permits. Well, you know what? We're not as theological as we think we are. You know, mm-hmm. our, our doctrine of sin is 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 a bit too thin, if you ask me. Uh, um, and so, um, where was I? I mean, just going back to the men, you know, I think if you reestablish sort of the, the male role in the neighborhood, and that's what, you know, just uh, I'm really passionate about. And so um, right now I've got about three or four guys that I'm that, I've, that we've seen come to Christ, and I'm, you know, discipling them now and, and just praying, you know, day in and day out that uh, that more, more young men would come to Christ. And if you get them, you, you get everybody. You get their families, you get their children. And uh, so... Uh, does that answer your question well? Or? Yeah, absolutely. And and what it actually did was uh, it made me start to think a little bit about um, how rare it seems. Or maybe maybe I should put it in the form of a question. Do you find that planting a church in in a in a impoverished neighborhood such as Trinity Gardens is something you see um, in the mainstream in the PCA, or is this very unusual? Well, I, I don't think it's in the mainstream. Um, I do. Uh, I do not want to discredit the, those men and women who are, you know, planting churches. You know, husbands, uh, husbands and wives, and in, in, in those in those sorts of communities. Um, I think that um, there are a few reasons for that. Number one, it's it's a bit dangerous. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we would look at somebody would look at that commonly. The immediate question that I, I that I get asked is. You know, what about your wife and your four children? You know, uh, what about the crime and, you know, sort of the, the, the things that could happen to them in the neighborhood? That's the first question. Uh, other, other um, you know, 
concerns that folks might have is uh, a lot of us uh, really like Keller, and we've and we've bought into Keller's um, sort of bigger bang for the buck type of church planning model, which is a great model. Go to the go to sort of the metropolitan, larger metropolitan uh, city areas, and from there, people are typically resourced and will go back to their nation, or you know, if they're if they're uh, from another nation or they'll move out from the inner city and go into the suburbs and take the gospel with them. And that's a great strategy, but I don't think it's the only strategy. I mean, if, you, if it, there's a good chance, you know, if, if, um, if we go into this neighborhood and we spend the rest of our lives there and we die there, uh, we will only reach, you know, the people in that 3,000, you know, uh, people area. You know, uh, the, the what tends to happen in a culture like this is the people, you know, they, they're, they're born there and they die there. You know, they don't have the resources to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they don't have the, the connections like you or I have when they need a job. And we know somebody in California and the person in California says, yeah, I've got an opening. And we fly out there and we work out there. The, the social resources that you and I have, the social networks that you and I have could span over the United States and possibly in other countries. Uh, and that's just not the case here. Uh, these guys, these men and women, they know uh, a geographical area of about a mile and a half radius, and uh, it's very limited outside of that that neighborhood, you know. Um, and so the the bang for the buck, really, the bank stops really in that neighborhood. I guess if you could see it with natural eyes. Now we understand that God can do anything, and He does do do things. Um, and uh, people might see a work like this, and, and, it could, and the ripples of it might reach, you know, out through the nation and things like that. And so, those are just some reasons that I think that people will not will not go. I mean, there it is a very tough um, uh, type of ministry. You know, my my scheduling practices do not work in that neighborhood. My uh, I don't think that we're equipped to disciple young men and women in those neighborhoods in seminary. Um, because you know what, you can't hand this guy a book and say, "Hey, you know, uh, uh, why don't you we read through this book together? And we'll meet every week, and uh, you know, you do the homework questions." And you know, uh, we're we're dealing with a lot of folks that that do not grow up with bookshelves, that do not grow up valuing books. These days, these kids aren't even allowed to take their school books home. Hmm. You know, and and so uh, you hand them a book and say, "Let's read through this together." The next time you see them, they don't even know where the book is. You know, and so discipleship takes on a whole nother um, sort of form, you know, another shape. We're, we're forced to really uh, figure out how to disciple and how to love people that are different than we are. That you know, and, and we have to resist the temptation to say, you know what, that you're less than an image bearer, and uh, that I'm the only one that has something to offer in this relationship. I mean, that goes contrary to, what is it, First Corinthians 12, where every single person in the body, every single part of the body has significant uh, worth and value, even the smallest parts that we don't really consider very valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a constant struggle and temptation for some, you know, for, say, a white, a white uh, person that's been, you know, that's from a privileged background, possibly, you know, to go into a leadership like, uh, or go into a neighborhood like this and not immediately become paternalistic or, you know, think that we're the only ones that have something to offer here. So yeah. those are just some of the challenges. Yeah, I think that's well said, and, and, and it's, it's certainly a, a great perspective to have on it. As as you were talking, I was just thinking about this idea that that though these people are in 
situations in their life that are, are, are impoverished. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, it, yeah. it's, I don't want to, it's difficult. I, I grew up in a somewhat difficult environment myself and, and at times in my life and, and I understand the dynamics and, and all that goes into that. So I think that your perspective on it is, is actually quite refreshing to consider it in those, those terms. Now, since everybody seems to ask those questions about your wife and children, I guess I'll just be like everybody else. And, and I'll just ask you, um, certainly, uh, as a husband and a father, um, and, and I'm a, a husband and a father, um, that would factor into my, my thought process. I, I don't think I could escape that. Uh, how yeah, does your yeah. wife and children feel about this work? Well, uh, my wife has not always been uh, ready for this type of work. Um, you know, I'm, I, I tend to be, you know, I went to RTS Jackson, you know, you know, I tend to be very objective. Hey, if God calls us, let's go. And then I sort of worry about the emotional side of it after you've already sort of jumped in the water, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and our wives are typically the balance to that. And, and you know, uh, back when we had the young man living with us in seminary, you know, I, we had kicked around, you know, doing this sort of ministry, and we knew what it meant. We knew that if we did this type of ministry, we would we would be incarnational. We would live among those people, and we would we would be there in the neighborhood. And and she just wasn't ready. And and uh, and, and because she wasn't, I wasn't either. And and it wasn't. It was something that I I always said. You know, I'll never pressure you. You know, uh, I want us to be on the same page always. You know, this isn't going to be. Who was it? Uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, whose wife was always sort of, you know, nagging. And who? Which one? Which missionary was that? Uh, uh, Hudson Taylor. Or the that other, guy. Big guy. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> one of the listeners is probably, you know, knocking me upside the head for not knowing that. Right. Uh, but anyway, uh, but what what happened was we 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 really built some relationships in the neighborhood, and we went to the M and A uh, Church Planners Assessment Center, and they. They they gave us a you know a go ahead to begin church planning and as you, Katie and I were were beginning to really pray about where God would lead us, we just couldn't reconcile going anywhere else. Um, and we we read a book by Maria Garriott called A Thousand Resurrections. Uh, and she and her husband uh, Craig Garriott they uh, they church plan in a very similar neighborhood up in uh, Baltimore, I believe, or, um, up near Baltimore and. Um, and reading those stories that she writes in that book, we got we started getting very scared. You know, we hadn't really talked about it with each other yet. I didn't say anything to her because I didn't want her to freak out, thinking that I was just taking the family into the hood. And and so we were just in prayer. And um, and I remember having my devotions one morning. And this will be a short short story, but it's extremely significant to our call. Uh, and in my Bible reading plan, uh, the next chapter after I'd read those and just and just been really had a about a, a fear. Uh, the next uh, passage was Numbers 14, and uh, it's when the the report came back from the spies, and they're saying that the people over in the land are, are big and they're scary, and uh, and all the people start saying basically, you know what, if we go over into the land, not only are we going to die, but our wife and our children are going to be compromised as well. What about our wife and our children? They're going to die too. Um, in other words, the message was if we if we follow God's call and going into the place where He is calling us, our wives and children are going to be immediately put in danger, humanly speaking. And long story short, God gets really ticked off with them and says, "Fine, well, you won't go, but your children will." 
and um, mm. and I'm going to bless them. And so that really, to be honest with you, put me at ease, and that led me to write my wife an email. That's how <laughs> that's how it's communicated. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, this isn't Scott, you know, becoming this you know objective visionary dragging us into the hood. But listen, I want to be on the same page with you. I love you, and um, and whatever you're comfortable with, I feel like that's where God leads us. And um, as long as we're on the same page, and and basically she emailed back, um, and we had a conversation that night. But she emailed back, you know. I was just waiting on you to say the word, you know, and and when your wife uh, agrees wow. with you on on a, on a call like that, mm. that's about as close to the audible voice of God as I think I'll probably hear in this life, and and it, it really comforted me then, and uh, and you know, as far as my children being safe, uh, it's something that I worry about a lot, but it's uh, you know what, uh, there is an aspect of it as well where I'd almost rather my children grow up in this neighborhood. You can't. Uh, we're almost safer in the neighborhood than out of the neighborhood, uh, if you can if you can believe that. Um, I live in a neighborhood where nobody knows each other. The neighbors don't know one another. I don't let my children go out front without me being out with them, ride their bike out in the street because cars are going by really fast because kids aren't out in the street, so people feel at liberty to drive as fast as they like through the neighborhood. Um, and, you know, if, if, if some, you know, lunatic, you know, who, who lives five houses down that I don't know, you know, snatches my kid, which is if you're a parent, you've thought of that scenario, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you just don't worry about that in this neighborhood. You worry about something like a drive-by, you know, but in, 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 in Trinity Gardens in a neighborhood like that, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's kids. And they will smack a, uh, you know, somebody's kid that's down the road for picking on uh, a kid in front of their yard. You know, everybody just sort of takes care of everybody. You get the sense that you know, if 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 you look at um, my, my yard in a in a in a negative way, that the guy across the street is going to say, you know, what you looking at, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and and I'm serious. It's um. You know, we've got some rough guys that live right across the street from our property, but I, but the Lord's given me so much favor with them. And, uh, I mean, these guys have tattoos all over their necks, arms, gold in their, their teeth. They've got tattoos on their face. And these guys are, you know, have just gotten out of prison, um, two or three of them. And uh, they're outside, you know, most most days outside hanging out. And, um, you know, while I, I do, you know, you, while you do want to practice wisdom, but there is a sense in which, you know, um, my kid calls him sir. And uh, my children call them sir. They call them Mister, and they and they love my children. And there's a sense in which you know um, I feel very protected. Hmm. And so uh, there's only one more aspect, and this is bringing some theology here, uh, is that I, I'd almost rather my children see evil and wickedness this way. Um, uh, what do I mean by that? I, I mean by that is, you know, it's very easy to see if there is going to be wickedness in the neighborhood or evil in the neighborhood or sin in the neighborhood. It's very obvious. The people in this neighborhood are not polished like we are, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're not. They're just we're we're just as sinful, pretty much, as that we're just polished. The outside of our cup is clean. We're well behaved, and uh, it's it's hard. It's more difficult to see wickedness when people are well behaved. It's more it's more difficult to convince somebody that they're a sinner when they're so well behaved, and uh, you know if I look at my little girl and say Emma, you know that that right there, that kid punching that kid in the nose, that's that's anger, that's that's what wickedness looks like, you know, and and when you got in a fight with that kid and and you bullied him, that's that's wickedness. When you stole the basketball away from him, whatever, mm. uh, instead of you know um, 
uh, you know, John Doe in our church, who's who's very polished and and he he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, you know. And and you say that that guy over there, you know, you need to stay away from him. And your and your kids like why? He looks fine to me, <laughs> right? You know, right? And so anyway. Uh, those are just some things that I've thought through in my head. I don't know if those are useful or not, uh, but they they're useful for me. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting what um, what you just said about the 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 plainness of the wickedness that you'll find in yeah. in an urban setting. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking about how uh, because of Hollywood and and movies and the entertainment industry, we've kind of yeah. sterilized this heinous behavior um yeah. and in some sense even took it taken it to an, another level and and glorified it and made it um that would it uh, calling it good instead of what it is and that's uh, an interesting perspective i guess i you know never really thought of it quite in those terms but um that that is interesting and um i'll have to ponder that some more as as uh, as i have opportunity that's a very interesting perspective um Moving on more maybe to the specifics of the plant itself, um, this is an outreach now. Um, is this under the auspices of the church you're currently laboring at? Yes, it is a, uh, will be sort of a sister church, uh, a plant from Grace Community. It is a plant of Grace Community Church, and, uh, you know, eventually we'll particularize. Um, but uh, until then, you know, which I don't, I don't know how long that'll be, uh, we'll, we'll operate under the, you know, the session of this church and, and um, you know we're so grateful. Um, it's it's such a breath of fresh air to have a church that's behind you and that supports you know the work and and things like that. I mean uh, it's it's a great thing. I'm very appreciative of Grace Community. And what kind of um, I mean I have to ask this question because I imagine there's well we probably don't have time to deal with every single one of them, but there's bound to be um, barriers or hardships to planning a church in a, in a neighborhood is this, especially as you indicated before, you're probably the only white guy in the town. Right. Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. What, what, what kind of barriers have you maybe already experienced and how maybe, how did you overcome those and what are some that maybe you're anticipating or, or suspect that's probably that may come down the road? And I guess even further, are there any other churches in the neighborhood? Yeah, there are about 30 churches in the neighborhood. Wow. Um, and uh, I'm being mentored by a gentleman named Anthony Gordon who started a uh, an inner-city school called Restoration Academy in Birmingham. Mm. He, he uh, He's an African-American gentleman, um, older, and he, uh, he grew up in the hood here uh, in Pritchard, actually, and so he lives here, but he also works for Desire Street, um, uh, ministries, which is a uh, you know if you're I don't know if you're familiar with Desire Street uh, Ministries that was out of New Orleans, but now they're headquarters in Atlanta. But they they mentor and they come alongside of of works like this. Uh, and I asked him, you know, he told me when we went through the neighborhood, he was like, Scott, you need to be here um, because of just the relationships that I built, you know, uh, and and things like that. And and I said, but Anthony, you know, there are 30 other churches in this neighborhood, and and he said, yeah, but um, most of not all of these pastors um and i and i and I could be corrected, I just don't know of any um leave you know after church on Sunday. The message is you're delivered by God to be out of this community mm. 
uh, once you're delivered, you know, you're not impoverished. You, you shouldn't be impoverished anymore. You know, you should, uh, and, and then you're delivered to God, this community. But the gospel is actually is, is quite contrary to it uh, in, in, in some ways and some perspectives, is that we are actually, our message that we like to preach is that you're delivered to go to the community. You know, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to us. He came to the impoverished communities, and so that's sort of the incarnational model. Um, and so that's that's really uh, how we uh, sort of justify being a church in a small community where there are other churches. You know, uh, I hope to be a pastor that's there. You know, um, day in and day out, uh, with my family, exemplifying family before the community and being loved on by the community, my family as well, and uh, and learning from other families in the neighborhood and, and things like that um, from different perspectives. Uh, some other barriers, obviously, the biggest one is is, um, is a trust issue. You know, uh, we've made some great strides with that, that trust issue, um, just the friendships that we've built um, uh, over the last, over the years have really given credibility. Um, to what we're doing. So I've got like the guys that I hang out with a lot are, you know, uh, 20, 21 year old guys and some guys that are around 27, 28. Uh, and just me being with those guys all the time in the neighborhood mm-hmm. brings, brings walls down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one guy that is one of the harder guys in the neighborhood and one of the big kind of leaders in the neighborhood that, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, he was very standoff to, standoffish to me until he found out that a guy that I played basketball with in college was one of his mentors. Hmm. <laughs> okay, that's 10 years ago. Amazing. And, uh, and that guy, his name's Orlando, that guy, Orlando's a better friend to me than I am to him. He calls me regularly. But when this guy found out that I knew D-Man, that's what he calls him, D-Man, it's like night and day. I mean, twice now he has stopped his car, turned around and come back where he's seen me and uh, gotten out of his car and, you know, talked to me for a while. So it's uh, just those types of, you know, providential things. But trust is the biggest barrier, Um, trust. Mm. And, uh, and that, you know what, that just takes time and day in and day out. It's something you cannot force. It's something that you're, it's out of our control. You know, you can't just make somebody trust you. And, uh, and love has a, has a really, um, profound way, I think, of, of developing trust and bringing down walls. Well, it sounds to me like the Lord was preparing you for this work quite a while ago. And you didn't even and you didn't even know it because even in that small and you know that encounter with your own life and having a friend that you come to ten years later and find out yeah. that this this one of the tougher guys in the neighborhood was mentored by him that's that's a connection that yeah. you could you didn't orchestrate that that's just in God's providence and timing put all together quite nicely actually yeah. now you mentioned you mentioned there's 30 other churches what's the dominating and prevalent religion i guess uh, in the uh, area yeah the the folks that i've come along uh come across that um do have religious background are uh sort of uh one gen they're, they're not the younger generation but sort of the generation that's um over 30 those are typically the more churched individuals and a lot of it is more full gospel apostolic you know um which another, I guess, to translate would be, you know, uh, Pentecostal, charismatic, um, 
uh, a lot of health wealth. You know, I had a lady tell me, "Oh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sinful." You know, I've got God's favor on me. I'm not sinful, even though it's a drought time. He He's gonna bless me, and I don't, you know, I'm not gonna be, but I'm not sinful. You know, and so mm-hmm. this idea, you know, of of um, uh, it, it's really uh, it's really a tough thing. Uh, but there are some non-denominational churches. Uh, one of the biggest churches in Mobile actually is just right outside of the community. Um, it's an African American church, about three to four thousand on membership, and uh, they are our number one supporter. Really, uh, they wow. are most are yeah our biggest supporter, and um, and uh, I've I've had been able to speak over there uh, in one engage, engagement. So uh, I preached in front of 600 folks in the community and uh, uh, or, uh, at that church, and uh, it was amazing. That has given me so much credibility, you know, with just some other sort of more leaders in the community. Uh, most of the people who go to that church either come from out, come from outside the community. Or they tend to be maybe the principals of the schools in the community and things like that. And they'll go to that church, mm. and so the, one of the principals of one of the schools is uh, has just really reached out to me because she heard me there and she knows that I'm uh, really good friends with the pastors there. Mm. So. Now, uh, given the, the climate, the religious climate, um, full gospel, apostolic, yes, um, certainly by and large, far and away different. Um, yeah from a reformed liturgy and um reformed worship how how has that been a challenge or i realize you haven't really started uh doing formal worship services yet but how do you anticipate overcoming maybe some of those issues yeah yeah and the biggest issue i think will be women in leadership you know and, and our views on that uh we'll, we'll probably butt heads i um uh, I'm going to, you know, there's a way to preach, say, election, uh, and you can preach it negatively. You know, God doesn't choose some, right? Or you could preach a, a doctrine like that as great news. You know, mm-hmm. you can't tell me a reason why God could not have elected you, you know, could not have chosen you. You know, all of your sin, I mean, God could still choose you. Um, that's great news to someone who knows their own sin. And I think, you know, to a community that's been just burdened, the women have been burdened because of because of the lack of male leadership. Uh, I'm really going to try to just preach it as good news. You know what? The good news is here is that you get to rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get to have a seat for a little while and just enjoy and just uh, really sit up under the authority of the men in this, in this ministry and be, uh, and be blessed, you know. And uh, and I've seen that, um, and and I've and I've seen some of the women really just find that very encouraging. So it's interesting as uh, you're, you're talking about you, you you highlighted this idea of uh, as we would both agree certainly that leaders in the church, elders, deacons should be uh, men in the church, uh, duly called by God to do this work. And, and, but yet you're working in a in an environment, um, and and I know from experience, and you obviously know from experience that you're working in an environment where a great number of homes are fatherless That's right. that, that don't have that male figure, male role model, male authority in place already. Um, mom has been both things and had to been, and, and just by virtue of their situation, how is that, that dynamic uh, going to create, how are you going to deal with that dynamic? And I'm thinking even more specifically about, um, uh, 
mm-hmm. some of the things that happened even at our last general assembly with the insider movement and how yeah. Bible translations are trying they're trying to alter the Bible translations to somehow soften or change the mm-hmm. language to not be offensive to those um, um, who may be by the language. Yeah, uh, you know I think that um, that that re- you know the reformed faith is is so much more robust. Um, than I think a, a lot of us give give credit for. You know, I think Calvin, uh, as far as theologically, they're, they're, we don't even have to make an argument for that. But I think uh, more and more, I think people are realizing that socially, uh, he was just as strong. You know, I mean, he was. Um, but I think to be truly reformed is to have the reformed faith move you in such a way, you know, faith that is saved, we sure we're saved by faith alone, but faith is saved is never alone. And th- that means that, that, that faith is always expressed in love. And I think that's why Paul in Romans really doesn't talk a whole lot about the first commandment, but really pays attention a lot to the second commandment to love your neighbor. And, uh, I, I, I say that all to say that I'm just trusting that uh, orthodoxy, true orthodoxy expressed in love will cover a multitude of sins and it will cover a multitude of barriers. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of answers as to how we're going to you know, form literature, but I do know that as sort of Tim Keller saw in New York, that structure and orthodoxy and, and, and not being afraid of, say, your, your heritage uh, was very refreshing to a lot of folks, you know, who were otherwise pagan, you know, and uh, having that authority structure there and that liturgy there and um, those those beliefs that we have that might go, that might swim upstream, you know, with a lot of folks in the neighborhood. Um, I really think that when they're tempered with love, when that truth is, is spoken in love, it'll be irresistible, um, you know, to those that the Lord is really calling. And, uh, and, so, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of answers as far as that concern, other than I'm just trying to take it one day at a time. Uh, I tend to be very conservative, you know, in my in my faith, and uh, but I also truly believe that um, that we have to love people, and and I'm myself, I'm I'm convicted deeply at this season of my life, and my my at my inability to love people, man, my mm. just, uh, and I and I'm and I'm forced to prayer. I'm forced to pray and forced to plead with the Holy Spirit to change my heart. Uh, and, and I'm confessing and repenting of the fact that I thought that actually learning things was the same thing as faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, anytime I was doubting my faith, I'd read a book, you know, uh, to, to, to make myself feel better about how I could learn. And, and, I, and I think a lot of times I, I personally just get, got caught up in that. But, um, you know, really going through this ministry and the things that it's forced my wife and I to really wrestle with, trusting one another. You know, when you get a call at 1030 and you haven't spent a whole lot of time with your wife and you've got four kids, the youngest one's three weeks old, and you get a call at 1030 and somebody needs something very badly, you've got to make a wise decision. You know, you've got to really trust. And then, and, and you and your wife really need to be on the same page. You've got to trust mm. one another. Mm-hmm. Or else an argument is just right around the corner. And there's oh, yeah. nothing more than the, that, the, that the enemy would want than to destroy your home. 
can make you ineffective. I don't know about you, man, but if I have an argument with my wife, my day's shot. <laughs> you know, I don't really feel like I don't want to do anything. <laughs> yep, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I can attest to that. That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Well, we're running a little bit of short on time. I do sure. did want to ask this. A little birdie told me that you love John Owen. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, I took a class with Derek Thomas on John Owen, and um, and it was awesome. I was forced to read 1,200 pages of that guy. I'm not convinced that he's the best writer in the world. As a matter of fact, I, I think he's one of the one of the worst writers in the world. But he does get his point across, and those points are are some of the best points I've ever read in the world. And so, uh, I, I love the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I've got his picture. I'm looking at his picture right now. I got a portrait. On my <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you though. I think, uh, th- yeah, well, verbose comes to mind pretty, pretty quickly yeah, with yeah. Owen. Right. I mean, a lot of great yeah. things to say and you have to be patient sometimes as you yeah. read them. He doesn't um, split those things up with periods very much. We we no. found the longest sentence was 220 words. <laughs> yes. Well, you hear you heard it here first, people, on Confessing Our Hope podcast. You now know the longest John Owen sentence that's been found so far is 220 <laughs> words. We don't that's recommend right. you do that in any of your papers or writing assignments. You might not do that's so right. well. Um, John Owen gets a pass because he's John Owen on those things. Scott, how can the uh, community, the, 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 the Christian community help you? Um, what ways, uh, can, can they contribute or help you and your work here at Trinity gardens? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, a lot of missionaries and guys say prayer. Uh, and I guess that's sort of your, your religious first answer, but, um, in all honesty, uh, we need prayer. My wife and I need prayer. We've been through the hardest year of marriage, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I mean, it's, like you said, I mean, honesty and, and just transparency of that. And it, it's been very difficult. You just don't go into a neighborhood, is what Anthony Gordon told me. You just don't go into a neighborhood. I've, I've had the opportunity to marry one of my guys to his girlfriend, his baby's mother. And he goes, You just don't go in there and start talking about marriage and, and, and doing things like that and expect to be free from attack. And please pray for us. Uh, pray that we'd be protected, our family be protected. Pray that we would uh, be wise in our decision-making and, and, and pray that our hearts would be broken uh, of pride, of arrogance, of um, you know paternalism, but thinking that we've got the only thing to offer here. Um, and pray that we would be really just humble to love. Uh, secondly, um, we're really prohibited from doing anything uh, more in the neighborhood. We've seen 12 people come to faith uh, we're discipling those young men and women. Pray for laborers, uh, dedicated laborers who are willing to get messy. You know, this is not your typical type of ministry. And, and uh, But pray also, we can't do anything until we're fully funded. We're about 50 to 60% funded now. We're trying to raise $100,000 a year. Um, and uh, we're about 50 or 60% of the way there. And we're really um, deadlocked and trying to do anything further now before we... So I'm full-time support raising right now. Uh, and that's really, I think, the way that people can, can help. Um, you know, they could, if you'd love to give to the ministry, I mean, is that, is that can I say that on this? Absolutely. On this Absolutely. Uh, you know, the name of our plan is Trinity Family, and uh, you, uh, it's under the, you know, the, the guidance in the, um, the 501c3 overhead of Grace Community Church right now. And, uh, you can you can email me further. I guess that's just the easiest way. Uh, if you'd love to find out more about it, just email me, Scott at Trinity Fam. That's F A M. 
like family.org, scott at trinityfam.org. Email me, and I'd be glad to talk to you more and, and tell you how you can uh, partner with us and, and really seeing God do an amazing thing in a, in a great neighborhood. That sounds good. And I will, of course, have this information on our confessingourhope.com website for those who listen to this and, and may be doing other things and can't jot this information down. Uh, you can always go there, and I will have that information available for the listeners um, as well so that they can access that at any time. Scott, is there anything else um, you'd like to say about this work? I, 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 I can feel and I hear your passion for this work just in this brief time we've talked and, um, and, and I would commend to the listeners to, um, you may not be able to do number two. Okay. As, <laughs> as Scott said, you, you may, uh, you know, I, I'm a realist. I, I think my guest is a realist. Um, but, right. but number one doesn't cost anything. That's right. That's right. Right. And, and other yeah, than your time. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, pray for this work, pray for this man, his family, and the things that he shared here openly with us today. And, and, and I would also encourage you to not only pray for his work here in this, but pray that our Lord would send laborers into these types of areas, That's because right. there is, as we've discussed, the, not a lot of prevalence, not a lot of uh, pursuit, uh, as it were, uh, into these kinds of neighborhoods, and frankly, uh, they need the gospel as much as everybody else. And sure. um, so, um, please, I think he would appreciate that, and and I think that's something that we ought to be doing as the body of Christ, uh, encouraging and helping, uh, uplifting one another in these matters. So, I think um, everybody can do number one. That's right. That's um, right. And and even if you can't speak, you can still do number one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if number two, if the financial aspects, if the Lord leads that on your heart, I'll have that information available for you to contact Scott for more information about it. Mm-hmm. Scott, anything else? Um, well, you know, I, I, just coming out of GA, uh, I'm very excited uh, and prayerful, and you can also pray for this, for us as a, as a denomination to see people from this community share the gospel with us. Mm-hmm. We, we have so often heard the gospel from the perspective of well-educated, you know, um, folks who can articulate it in ways that are very theologically correct and, and sharp. And, and what, but the, the perspectives that I hear uh, in this neighborhood, when people embrace the gospel and they love it, because a lot of times it's the only thing they really have. Mm. There, there's a richness and uh, to the simplicity of their message that I think uh, we need to hear and that our denomination and that our culture needs to hear. Um, you know, I, I think from, from impoverished communities, the message that comes from their mouth uh, tends, uh, I'm not discounting, you know, any, any gospel presentation that we give, but I'm just saying there's a whole nother facet that I, oftentimes I think we overlook and it's from those communities. They are image bearers and man, they are, they, they do have a voice that is deep and it's robust and it's, it's something I think we really need to hear. So just, just pray for that as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to it myself. So. Well, we will definitely do that, and um, we will definitely be praying for your work and for your wife as well. Um, yes. I'm sure if she was on 
this interview today, she would have a different perspective perhaps and, and different things to say and different concerns right. and different excitement um, right. as well. And um, in fact, I wish we had thought of that up front. That would have been um, quite interesting conversation. Um, and maybe sometime in the future we can do something of that nature. Scott, it's been great. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and it's obvious that you're very busy um, with everything that you've got going on. Um, are you still playing basketball? Uh, getting back into it. Uh, I'm going to have to. Too many of the kids are asking me to play. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like you've got a captive audience in a sense um, when it comes right, to that. Right. Um, and anybody 6'9 plays basketball, right? I mean, that's, that's just... Right. Uh, saying. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Scott, it's been great talking with you about this subject, and, and I pray that the Lord would bless it and uh, encourage your heart in, in this matter. Um, I know there's a lot to consider and a lot you have considered, um, but um, God is uh, he's effective, and, um, mm-hmm. and he works in ways, as we've even talked about, that we don't always see up front, um, but when we look over our shoulder, we're amazed at the things that he has done um, to bring about what he wants to bring about uh, all to his glory and praise. So we will be praying for you in that regard. You've been listening to an interview with Scott Moore. He's a church planner, also an assistant pastor at Grace Community Church in Mobile, Alabama. It's a PCA church, and he is planting uh, under the auspices of Grace Community, a church in a very difficult neighborhood, one that um, I'll be honest, most most seminary students probably aren't thinking much about, um, and maybe they should be. Um, but he's working uh, in an urban neighborhood with all the difficulties that come along with it. And so I would encourage, again, my listeners to at least pray for him and his family as he labors. And if you want to help in other ways, um, again, visit the ConfessingOurHope.com website for more information there. Coming up on the program uh, this Thursday, uh, and that would be the 28th of June, uh, I will be sitting down with uh, uh, Richard Phillips. He is the uh, senior minister at Second Presbyterian Church right here in Greenville, South Carolina, and him and I will be sitting down, and we'll basically be talking about the General Assembly that just occurred Last week, we'll, we'll basically take a summary look at some of the decisions that were made and some of the decisions that weren't made. And so we'll be talking about that. So if you have any questions for him regarding the General Assembly and some of the things that, that, that happened there, feel, feel, feel free to write me at confessingourhope um, at gpts.edu, and I will get those to him for him to deal with in that discussion. So that's what's on tap. We have other things lined up. I don't want to tip my hand too soon because those are always seem to be changing as we go along. But um, my assistant and friend is working very diligently now. He's actually quite excited about it, he told me the other day. Um, So he's going full bore now, getting guests lined up for the program. And so we hope you've enjoyed this particular edition. And again, please pray for for Scott, his family, and and for all those who do labor in this type of a work. It's not easy. Um, And and I think they really believe that it's prayer that's going to see him through. So let's pray for him and his family as the body of Christ we should be doing. So until Thursday, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and God bless.